uh, for the next semester, do encourage you to plug in. It's a, life groups are a very important part of our church because it uh, enables you to connect with others in a smaller group setting. And we just have tons of great opportunities to get connected. <clears throat> well, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be back. If, uh, for those of you who may not have been following me on Facebook, for the last uh, week, I've been in Florida, so I thought I'd wear a short sleeve shirts. And yesterday morning, I was laying on the beach, sunning, and we had lunch outside in a little cabana. But now we're back to reality. Kathy said, "Kathy said this morning, do you think it was a dream?" I said, "No, that's reality. We're stuck in the nightmare." <laughs> I love winter, sort of. <laughs> when you came in, you should have received this piece of green paper. Anybody need one? Anybody didn't get one and need one? Raise your hand. Kathy will hold. Uh, Kathy will hold your hand up until Kathy gives you one. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we're continuing in the, this series on the year on fire and talking about whether we're an orphan or an heir. Um, last week I spoke a lot about the orphan spirit that we got in, and we inherited it from uh, all the way back to Adam and Eve. But today we're going to talk about being heirs. And to kind of get our minds tuned into that thought process, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time, uh, but you're just showing up, what's he going to preach on? So I just want to ask some questions and give you the opportunity to, to write down some answers to get our minds thinking along these lines. I'm not going to answer these questions for you in the sermon. It's not like, well, fill it out as I preach. But rather, these are things I want you to... Uh, consider, and even if you don't get to all of them, you can continue afterwards. And because there is a, a sequence of thought, maybe just answer one for each of the four categories and then come back and do the other ones rather than three for each one. But what three words would you choose to describe the ideal role of a Christian? What, uh, when you think of a Christian, What's the role of a Christian? And for example, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, the role of a police officer is to maintain peace. Right? So that's one of his roles. Or to enforce the law. And so that would be uh, how to answer it. But, but if you're a Christian, what is the role of a Christian? And write down one, at least one, or uh, up to three. Secondly, <clears throat> what are some corresponding responsibilities that Christians have as a result of the role? And so if you write down a role for a Christian, what would be a responsibility that would help you fulfill that role? So for a police officer, maintain peace would be to enforce the law by you know, uh, 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 intervening when things are disrupting the peace. Arresting a criminal would be a responsibility or obeying the law himself would be a responsibility. Thirdly, <clears throat> what three words would you choose to describe your identity as a Christian? Now, identity is deeper than role. It's who you are. What defines you as a Christian? As a Christian, particularly, what is your identity? Or what words would you use to define the, your identity as a Christian? Uh, um, how you see yourself or how others see you. Uh, what would be the words to sum up your identity? And then finally, based on the three identity words, or if you only... Write down one identity word. What would be a corresponding behavior? What would be three corresponding behaviors that you exhibit as an expression of that identity? Now, maybe you don't exhibit, but you aspire to exhibit. 
In other words, I don't really, I, this is my identity, I'm not living up to it, but if I were living up to it, I would aspire to be, uh, behave this way. So let's just take a minute, write down a word or two under each one, if you will, and start thinking about what are the behaviors that reflect your identity? What are the responsibilities that reflect your role? continue to jot those down as things come to mind I'm going to start talking and read some scriptures uh, again I'm not answering these questions but we're going to talk about these ide ideas our, our role as Christians the responsibilities that uh, are associated with those roles our identity as Christians as believers and the behaviors that should flow from that identity beginning with Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7, Paul speaking to the church, a gathering of, of Christians, not that much unlike yourselves, uh, concerning their identity. And it applies to us as Christians as well. Paul says, right, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I feel that this verse kind of touches on all four of those categories. We're going to read it again in a different translation, this one time in the New Living Translation. It says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. And finally in the message, the very contemporary translation, says, But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent His Son, uh, God sent his son born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those uh, of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, 
Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. I love that uh, the reason I included this translation in is, is verse 7 there. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave? Wow! What a picture Paul is communicating about what it means to be a Christian. That we're in a place of inter- intimate conversation with God. That we're no longer in the place of slavery, but we're in a place of sonship. or being a son or daughter, a child of God. And as a result of that, because we are children, we're heirs. <clears throat> Verse 7 particularly says, we are no longer a slave. Well, that means <laughs> if you're no longer a slave you once were a slave. All right? Uh, And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. All of us were in slavery. We're born in sin. We're born in slavery. Uh, Jesus explained it this way. He talked about the same thing. A very important thing as you're reading Scripture is find different parts in Scripture that's talking about the same subject. And then you understand that subject better when you get different... uh, perspectives of it. So Jesus in John is speaking of the same idea. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Wow! We were all slaves and because we commit sin, we're in bondage to sin. But Jesus came to set us free. Uh, and not only that, but to make us his children. This is our true identity, God's own child, once we've experienced adoption through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the Son of God. How many believe that? All right, Jesus is God's son. He comes and grants those who he, he grants those who come to him uh, freedom. Now, keep in mind, it's not merely freedom from sin, but freedom unto sonship. Okay, or being an heir of God. And so much of Christianity, and so much of an individual Christians personal interaction with God and personal devotional life or just how you think about the Bible and experience of God is all about getting free from sin. As though that were the primary objective or the main issue involved in Christianity. But I'm here to tell you that's not the main point. That was a preliminary step unto a much bigger, a much more important a much more joyful and much more meaningful fulfillment, and that is sonship, okay? Being an heir of God. You can't live as an heir of God if you're entangled and bound by sin. So yes, Jesus came to set us free from sin, but that was not the end, all right? That was, you got to get rid of that so that you can live as sons and daughters, so that you can enter in to your royal heritage so that you can be heirs of God. God has made you an heir or an heir of God through Christ. Wow, that's our true identity. Uh, 
Paul uh, explains it in another way in the book of Romans, speaking again of the same idea. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Uh, I, I, I like how so often, you know, maybe, you know the, the term Christian was, was invented by non-Christians as a name. They were first called Christians, it says in Acts, in some city. I forget where. Was it Antioch? I think. Uh, and so that was a label put on it. It's a good one. We live in Christ. But in Scripture, we're called sons of God. All right? Children of the Most High. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And remember, that's not gender specific. That just means a child, son or daughter. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And another place where the intimate conversation is referred to, that we have access to God on a very intimate level. The word Abba is the word a little child in that day would call his Papa. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. It's the word used by the local people. Daddy, Papa, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this happens on a spirit-to-spirit level. It's not just something we understand with our mind, although that's important. It's not something we just agree with uh, in a theological sense, although that's important. It's something that we have to experience or engage with on a spiritual level. That our spirit connects with the Spirit of God and transfers or reveals or transforms our identity, formerly a slave, now a son, now a daughter. And if we're children, then we're heirs. Okay, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And I think that if indeed is not like a conditional, well, if you meet all the conditions, I think it's more like uh, we are joint heirs, and that leads to joining with Him in suffering, or it includes the experience of suffering with Him, as well as the experience of being glorified with Him. So these are, this is part of what we experience because we're united with Him. Vincent Word Study, uh, uh, just a, sort, uh, a reference that gives us a little understanding of, of some of the original words in the original language. It says that the word joint heirs in Roman law, uh, of, under which the whole of the New Testament was written, uh, Roman law made all children, included adopted ones, equal Inheritors. In other words, they had to receive an equal inheritance with other children, whether they're adopted or whether they're children by birth. <clears throat> Jewish law, in addition to that, gave a double portion to the, to the oldest son. Scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So we have an equal inheritance with the first. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, right? Okay, so the truth is, according to all of these scriptures, whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit. Do you believe that? No, no, I don't. I, I, I mean, I understand this. I'm teaching this, but if I believe that, I, I think my behavior would reflect that belief. And so often my behavior doesn't, or my thought patterns. And I was talking with my mom. I went down before mainly to visit my mom and, and do a few other things. But we talked about family members and 
<clears throat> she mentioned to me, and I, I'd known this, I didn't know how much he was worth, but I have a, a great uncle, her uncle, uh, Uncle Richie, if I remember, is, uh, uh, is rich. He, he's like 80-something. He's worth somewhere, he called her and said, he's, this was a few years ago, he's worth 60 million, and he's going for 90. Huh. <laughs> and she was like, why? She's got 60 and he's going for 90. He's like 80 some years old. So I have a rich great uncle, you know? You, know, you ever hear the stories here, a rich uncle and you get an inheritance? I'm hoping. <laughs> Father, just put it on Uncle Richie's heart, <laughs> you know? But what if I was his only son and I knew I was inheriting all that money? And not only the money, but the businesses by which he made all that money. Wow! Wow! I wouldn't have to worry about a lot of the things I worry about. Well, this is a thousand percent more true with you and I in our relationship with God. So much of what we have to worry about, we just don't have to worry about. If we would believe the truth that we are co-heirs with Christ, everything that Christ has... We equally have a share in it. First Peter <clears throat> 2, 9 and 10 talks about the expression of this identity as being sons and daughters. Uh, Peter is quoting an Old Testament verse. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Peter, again, writing to the church, writing to New Testament believers. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A whole, notice he says, you're, you, he doesn't say you will be. Hmm. Or if you behave pro properly, you may become. Right? He says you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result of these truths of who you are, your true identity, things that you could have put on this list, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, these five attributes, uh, these are five attributes about our role, our responsibilities, our identity, and our behavior as sons and daughters, as heirs, as Christians, as believers. And we're just going to walk through each of these. And the first of the five is that we're chosen. Say, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. It's true. You are chosen. Right? If you've responded to the gospel, you've responded to the general call. Uh, <clears throat> what's the general word for it? Grace. Provenient. Huh? Provenient. Provenient. There you go. That's a big word. <laughs> In general grace, it's overall. It's a call of God to all of mankind to respond. You've responded. And so uh, uh, that means that you've come into relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, uh, it, Peter is quoting from an Old Testament promise found in Deuteronomy 7, 6. Uh, a word spoken to Israel after the exodus as they were coming out of slavery. Ah! Isn't that interesting? The promise to Israel as this nation is coming out of slavery is the very promise that Peter uh, quotes from when God now says in the New Testament applies to us who have come out of slavery. Peter applies that word, that message, that, that promise 
this new identity to every man, woman, and child that comes into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the idea of this is that just as Israel had a unique relationship with God, not based on their works, but upon God's promise. And this is a little theological uh, uh, truth that we need to grasp a hold of. The Israelites <clears throat> did not uh, come into relationship with God because they obeyed the law. All right? No one comes into relationship with God because they obey the law. They were in relationship with God because of the promise God gave to Abraham. All right? And the law was God describing to his people how people in relationship with him should behave. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so no one ever gets to heaven by obeying the law. Old Testament, New Testament, God doesn't change. It was always by promise. And the promise is the promise of being that holy uh, nation, of being chosen, of being royal, of coming into relationship, of responding to the promise. You have to respond to the promise. And so, just like Israel had that unique relationship based on God's promise, now Christians, those who live in Christ, share in the same unique chosen relationship with God. It is actually the same promise because we're, uh, we're uh, uh, sons of Abraham by faith. And Paul writes like most of the New Testament based on that idea. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read Romans. All right? <laughs> the bottom line is, you have been chosen. All right. Uh, royal is the next word. We are royal. Say, I'm royal. I am royalty. Isn't that song, that new song that's out? You know? I am royalty. Hi. Right. Can't sing too good. Huh? I have destiny. Is that the next line? There you go. They're singing about it. Why are we royal? It's because Jesus is king of kings. And as Christians, we are in Christ. Romans live in Rome, right? Michiganders live in Michigan. Christians live in Christ. Well, if Christ is king of kings, then we are royal due to our position. All right? We share in his royalty by new birth through that adoption. Now, royalty is something you can't earn. If you work really hard, you may own a business, but you can't be king. How are kings made? By birth. Right? King and a queen have a baby. King dies. Prince becomes king. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't operate in that system in, in America anymore. <clears throat> or ever. <laughs> so we don't, we don't relate to it. <clears throat> but that's how it works. And so this is something that we have to be born into. And that's why Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because you have to take on a new identity. What is that identity? That you're royal. You're sons and daughters of the Most High. In, in Exodus 19, God says to Moses, speaking of his people, says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Same idea, same promise, said again uh, by God. God took a nation of slaves and called them to royalty. Wow, he did that with Israel as a picture of what uh, he was going to do with the whole of human race and as a means by which he would accomplish that uh, uh, for the whole human race, taking slaves and making us uh, royal 
Our royalty is directly connected to our priesthood, a kingdom of priests. A priest is one who interacts with God on behalf of others, one who has direct connection or access to God. And so that is our uh, true identity. You are a king, you're royal, and that kingship is not uh, for or unto or out of anything that's about you. It's because you are relationally connected with God, your kingdom priest, all right, for the purpose of connecting others to God and the purpose of communicating with Him. All right, <clears throat> uh, next thing is holy. Uh, this means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, or set apart. Wow. This is who you are. This is your true identity. Well, I don't experience it. Well, then we are to align our experience with, our, with the truth that God's Word declares. Right? You are to see yourself according to God's Word and then uh, experience the transformation that that faith in God's Word calls you into. Rather than defining yourself by your experiences and by your, uh, 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 the part that is still broken or the remnants of the old man. Because the enemy comes and accuses us of hypocrisy when we talk about holiness even though we have remnants of our fallen nature. We struggle with this sin or that sin. And if we then don't want to read the Bible or talk about, to somebody about Jesus, the enemy wants to say, oh, you're just a hypocrite because you've got this problem and that problem. The reality is we're hypocritical when we allow ourselves to be entangled again with the old nature because that's not who we are. Our true identity is holy. And so yes, there are things that we struggle with, but that is part of the old self that can be put away. And the more we actually talk about God's righteousness fulfilled in our lives, the more we'll be able to live it and experience it and see it and, and, and be free from the hypocrisy of, uh, of confusion and entanglement. Freedom is not permission to continue in sin. That would be an oxymoron. All right? uh, that would be a continuation of bondage. Uh, freedom is realizing and living our true new creation lives of being sacred, physically pure, and morally blameless, set free. Uh, and, and, you know, just think about that. Physically pure. How many would like to have your physical body completely pure and free from every effect of sin? Your own or inherited? Come on! Yes! Lord, I want freedom physically. I don't want any the result of, 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 of damage. I want to be morally blameless. Wow! To have the confidence, the peace the, the, that would come with knowing that, you know what? I'm morally blameless. Listen, that is your rightful inheritance. You do, not, not someday in the future. This is what God has called you to be now. It's who you are. Uh, it's our new, and our new identity then shapes our behavior. The behavior that's supposed to be consistent with our identity is morally blameless. The bottom line is that you are holy. <clears throat> uh, special. I like this one. It means God's very own possession. Uh, it means uh, special bought or won. 
All right, as he had a contest and won. All right, and the prize for winning was you. All right, and the contest was his death on the cross. Wow. This emphasis of this is on the personal nature of God's relationship with you, with each one of us. To God, it's very, very personal. Your identity, say my identity, my identity. is personal to God. God. Alright, God takes it personally. You know there's over 7 billion people on the planet, but God is big enough to, to be concerned about your struggles, about how you feel about yourself. What a huge God. Yeah. And it doesn't diminish how, he's, how much He's concerned about how the orphan in Bangladesh feels. He feels equally as compassionate for them. Alright? Because God, it's personal. Uh, you've, the value of something equals the price paid for it. And the value that was paid for you was the person of Jesus Christ. He, he came and died on the cross to demonstrate how much you mean. What else could God do to communicate how valuable you are to Him? Bottom line, you're valued. <clears throat> Lastly, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. All right? The result of living this true identity is that you can show others the goodness of God. Israel, the Old Testament people, the descendants of Abraham, had a unique calling in the Old Testament, and that was to be the light of the world. <clears throat> and as a side note, a lot of people say, well, they failed in that. And I would say, no, they didn't. Because they are continuing. Their testimony is a light of the world. The most... Uh, by far printed book in the history of mankind is this book right here. And the majority of it is the story of the Israelites. Their experience, their lives is still shining forth uh, the truth. You know what? To every, every nation and tribe on planet earth. Isn't that amazing? Come on! God's still fulfilling that word. He hasn't uh, let it go. And uh, uh, um, so the commandment to the people of Israelites uh, was to be the light of the world. We have inherited that same calling because we've come into the same promise. Our relationship with God is unto something greater. In other words, it's, it's important for God for you to know that you're special, that you're holy, that you're chosen, that you're unique, you know, that, uh, uh, in relationship with Him. But that is unto something, right? Not just so you can sit warm and cozy on your couch thinking about how great, how great I am, how great I am. Right? No. no. <laughs> How great thou art. <laughs> it's to uh, uh, communicate. We can change the world so that we can show others the goodness of God. That yes, you are to experience it. Why? As a result, you can show others. You can be the light to the world. You're called. Say, I'm called. To change the world. And this is the great part about it, is that we change the world just by being you. Wow, that is, that is totally yeah. mind-blowing. Just by being you. Just by being who God's called you. That's how you change the world. What do you have to do? You have to live who God's called you to be and do what He calls you to do. 
day by day. You're a world changer. So Graham's going to come up and lead us in a time of response to these, these uh, ideas. Graham, go ahead. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Cameron. You bet. All right. Let's give him a hand for sharing with us this morning. Well, as we finish uh, service this morning, let's stand up. Let's stand together as a church. We're just going to spend a couple of moments um, as we close out our service this morning, just um, in response to to what we've heard. And uh, we don't want to just walk away and and, and say that was a great sermon, but we want to take a couple of moments and just respond to to God's word to us this morning. And so I just want to go through and lead us through these four um, elements that um, Pastor has shared with us this morning. Uh, we are chosen, royal, holy, and special. And so as we uh, pray together this morning in response, if there's something that has really um, spoken to you directly, this is, a, this is a moment, this is an opportunity for you to respond uh, one-on-one with God as, as we're in prayer, as we uh, respond this morning. Maybe there's something that um, has just sparked in your mind or, or in your own heart where you say, I want to put that right. I want to make sure that I understand this point or this aspect or this verse of Scripture. Well, this is a moment this morning.